Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of True Chat, a community podcast, a made music production. I am your host, Joy of Joyful Sounds, and this is episode eight. Today, we are revisiting some of our guests from the very first episode, who we are and what we want. And so you'll hear uh, returning voices of uh, Moolah from a little bit more from King George. And then you'll hear some supporting factors in discussions uh, True Chat had with Heartland Alliance Healthcare Center. You will also hear from our friends over at iGrow. Um, these two dynamic discussions that I had with the staff of these two organizations you won't get all of the story today, but I have so much. They had so much to Work. share. Both Heartland Alliance and iGrow are great resources for our young people, especially those that are homeless and that are struggling with depression. I wanted to include these organizations in this episode, in this episode particularly because we're doing a revisit of who we are and what we want. And a if you recall, they shared the things that they wanted to see different in the community and how they were going to be a part of making that change. In this episode, you'll hear a little bit more from a few of the same guests and, and the progression uh, from the very first episode and now in episode eight. You'll also hear a direct relation between the facts and details shared by both Heartland Alliance uh, Healthcare Center and iGrow, and why we may very well be experiencing the type of hardship we experience in our community. So be sure to listen closely and enjoy. Since that initiative has been out, do you all feel like as individual officers out there, do you all feel like it's been a difference? Can you feel, can you see the difference? Is the idea is to end violence, so it's like uh, different ambassadors that we have out there. You all feel like you're doing more or less? Do you feel like you're getting assistance from the community to help end the violence? I feel like Seven Falls Beach has improved um, with uh, no violent crimes. I've been here seven years, so over the years it, it was really bad, and it's just suddenly there's been a drop of uh, gun violence. Do you see us out there? I, I mean, it's my first time meeting you, so I mean, um, so no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Every time I do something outside my character in some way, shape, form, or fashion, I get stabbed up. <laughs> Real shit. And that's how I know that ain't for you. That's like with the situation I'm in now. The reason I'm in it now, I should not be around it. Like, this is all these people ever encaged me for. So, at what point, what hour, what day, at what time, who gonna be around when your monkey ass realized this ain't for you? But you still the same person. You still great. Like no matter what I do, no matter what I was working at McDonald's, do you know I was the shit? I'm doing what I want to do. Everything I do, I want to do it. I make these choices. This is what I want to do. What I'm doing. But I'm not happy. 
like that. So you see how you see like, how we explaining how we thought as mm-hmm. kids. We was putting all this shit together as kids. Now here we are. It's not per se you, not per se me, not per se any motherfucker. But here we are as a people, and we can't motherfucking think. Kids thinking better than we are. I'm forty. Kids, uh, the 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 kid me. It's thinking better than the 40-year-old me. Facts. So thank you for pointing that out. Yes, let me get this part. Let's say this again. The kid me. The kid you. The kid version of us. So far as our thinking. Be grown, adult, more knowledgeable, more experienced us. Me for sure. But as a whole, as a people. That's the fucking problem. Back with uh, Moolah. And Moolah has a story to tell us. And in this story, I want everybody to pay attention because there's something that we all should be listening a little bit closer to see some of the changes that we may need to make as adults, older older generations. Moolah. What's up, it's your boy Moolah Kapal. And I'm here to tell you a real, real story. Well, really what happened with me and my situation, how I ended up in the situation that I am right now today is because like, I, I came home from, from college. I was so happy to be home I guess I was so, you know, so happy to be home that I started feeling cocky and not, you know, being careful of the things I was, you know, like, you know, I wasn't being careful of things. So, like, I guess I wasn't, you know, paying attention to my surroundings and stuff like that, thinking before I do and things of that nature. So, like, what happened with me was I went along, I went along you know, with a friend of mine, close homie, We've been friends with for a real long time, and he already had heat on him, and basically it didn't end well. It just clashed on me. It just I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Didn't do nothing. Didn't mean no harm to nobody. Didn't you know threaten nobody life or anything like that. Didn't put anybody in fear's way. Uh, you know, like the law just. Don't play fair, and that's what happened to me. I'm a walking example of that. And right now, I'm going through the motions and just hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. You know, if worse come to worse, I ain't gonna, you know, act all surprised about it. Just, just go through with it. But if best come to best by me, then you know, thank God. But through all that, I'll be all right. You uh. What's the best case scenario for you? What is best come to best? What is that? If the best come to best is that it just all go away. Hmm. The best come to best is that it's just a miracle happening. That's best come to best. Worst come to worst, doing time. So you said earlier that your story, one, nobody knows what your situation is because I haven't said it. You just kind of talking and you're not really giving specifics. So 
one of the things you did say that I would think that would have people question or wonder why you say it is that the law ain't fair in how it's doing. Right. So you have to give a bit more detail into the story so that people can understand what it is you're saying and how. You know, even though I didn't like actually do what they're trying to say I did or whatever the case may be, even though like I didn't do that, it's still some things I might say that might hook them on to it. Like, yeah, he did do it or, you know, stuff like that. That's why I say like the law might fail because they can know damn well, like them people could point me out and tell them people that they don't, that they can tell the judge that they don't know me. They can say like they never seen me and all that. And like, they'll still play dirty and still put me in there, still throw me in there. They'll find a way to make you yeah, on there. Right. But what school were you going to? You said you were, you came home from college. Where were you at? Uh, Ivy Springs, Mississippi. I was at Russ College. Russ College. Like, how did you know about Russ College coming out of Chicago? Uh, I had a mentor. I, I got a lot of mentors, but I had one uh, that was hands-on that was helping me with academics in specific. So, you know, he was tutoring me, you know, help me with homework, you know, stuff like that, help me study for testing, you know, things of that nature. And on top of that, he was helping me register for classes and stuff like that. So around, I wasn't, I like, I wasn't in communication with him for a while until like around prom time. And around prom time, I didn't know what school I was about to go to. But I had credits to graduate. And I did everything, I did, you know, all the, you know, stuff I had to do in order to get my diploma. So, the quick, like, I was graduating. It wasn't no doubt about me not graduating. I had the grades, the GPA, I had the everything. It's just, I didn't know what school I was going to. I didn't know what, like, I didn't know what college I was gonna be going to. That's all it was. So, it wasn't like I wasn't trying to go. I just had a real hard time picking, a real hard time weighing my options out, and a real hard time just, you know, trying to scope out and see which direction I'm gonna go in with it. Cause I ain't know like, I knew I wanted to do business, but I didn't know what real business I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to stay home or go out of town. I didn't know if I wanted to go to a university or a community college. I didn't know none of that. Cause they was just throwing them options all in front of me. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like the more stuff I was finding out, it was harder for me, harder for me to think and actually process it through and decide. Cause like, for example, People tell you about trades and all that stuff and about how it's more work more worthy than college and things of that nature. I'm not saying there's not. I'm not saying that I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that or none of that. But like how come people don't push that more than they do in, in high schools and grammar schools than they do like actual four year universities or community college? Why do you think, based on your experience thus far, why do you think, and when you say they, you mean the majority? The, yeah, the, the people that enforce it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, the people that's behind it. Like, how come they don't enforce the people that's teaching these kids or teaching these students um, about, like, secondary, you know, education choices, mm -hmm. such as going to college and, you know, trainings and, you know, stuff like that? How come they don't push that out there more just like they do college and community college. Why do you think they don't? I think I, don't, I really don't know. That's the question. I, that's that's what I'm What's curious about. What's your heart of. tell you though? And this is what. Oh, they me. don't want us to get the real, 
the real life, the real not life, yeah. the real sauce, basically. You know, survival skills in the world. Because that's basically what it is. Like, that's what it is. Carpentry, electricity, <laughs> welding. That's real life you and know, imagine, stuff that you need to survive out here. Imagine if you got that, what would you be able to create for yourself that you wouldn't need or pre- depend on other systems to do? Well, for one, I have my own business. Bam. And when you have your own business, you can then start to create your own what? Economy. Your own economy, wealth. Economy, bro, you just said some big shit right there. And what I say by that, the reason I say that is because economy is starting off on something even bigger than just you and your household. Right. Economy is uh, is systematic. Exactly. And so right. you don't ever have to ask yourself that again. I really I see wanna... it as a blessing for you. Because from, and so this is how money is being made and funneled. But who is the money going to? It, institutions are not ran and set up by us. So we're not governing it. But these institutions are the ones that are teaching us. Like for me in this podcast, when I go around and have these conversations, especially with um, your generation, um, I want to be able to give like the question that you ask an answer but an answer that you already know and it's really just that you need a confirmation and i feel like a lot of the confirmations that you all need do come from my generation exactly you know what i'm saying because we experienced it now we need to be able to verbalize it um and also start and also create um you know solutions so my next thing to you is based on what we just said and talked about knowing that like you can see systematic things set up for certain people and places to fail for whatever reasons what would you do differently in the situation that you're in now because like again i say i see it as a a for lack of a better way of putting it because i don't really say a blessing but i just feel like enough people say it when you, that you know what i'm talking about because this is going it's turning your life in a direction that you probably would have not turned in at the at the age that you are now. Yeah. Maybe it might have been later on. Right, and, and you're right. You're right. I ain't gonna lie, cause like when I when I came home from college, cause I was thinking in my head like, okay, I did a year of college. I was thinking in my head like, okay, I already just did a year of college. That's enough. I could just give me a good job, stay at the crib. I'm straight. I'm out here. That's how I was feeling. That's how I was thinking. That's the mindset that I had when I came back home from school. Because I, I was thinking, like, okay, I already I just completed a whole year of college. Like, I, I got my diploma. I got some college experience. Like, what else? You know, I can just give me an associate's degree, and I'm Gucci. And I can still do what I do. I was trying to live the best of both worlds. But you can't do that. So what I'm doing is every day, like, I just think about, like, how can I push myself back to the right shelf? And like, I just think about the little stuff I, that I was lacking on at first. Like, cause I was moving carelessly, like not caring. Like, so I gotta think about the things that I didn't care about and put more, you know, like, you know, care behind. I wanna give you something different. And I'm glad you giving me the opportunity to give this to you. Because as I give this to you, when others hear it, they gonna use it. And take what I'm saying real serious. I want you to stop being so hard on yourself. And if I'm going to tell you, because ain't nobody else going to tell you this like this. Everybody else is going to want you to think about the shit you did. 
You know what I'm saying? For real. I want you to do something different. I want you to think about the shit you want. I want you to start visualizing how much money you want to make a month. How much money you want to make this month. And I want you to say shit like this. I am so grateful I made $10,000 this month and I'm going to do this with it. And I'm going to do that with That's it. That's the type of conversations I be wanting to have. That is what you should be doing. Because Not, we spend so much time on that. It's, it is. This is a part of like, you're going to get that anyway. But the more you start to visualize yourself in a power position into who you are and where you really want to be, you're going to continue to create the same shit. The way we create our realities is seeing that shit. You got to visualize it. You got to see it before it actually come there. You got to feel it. And if you think about like anything you was ever good at that just came to you, say like if you was a sport, like I mean for me, when I'm playing ball, when I was playing ball sports, I'm honestly, I, it's like I knew where the ball was going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I would get there and I already knew how I was going to blaze these motherfuckers. Deep! <laughs> you know what I right. mean? And I knew they yeah, was going to hit yeah. me. Yeah. That's how life rolls. That's how the universe works. But everything else will teach you something different because it wants to keep you there. Yeah. So, bruh, I'm telling you now, ain't nobody else going to tell you this. Especially other black people because that's not how we get down. Right. We punish each other. We punish ourselves all the time. Right. I'm a big one for accountability. The bigger picture. How it all works. You got enough people doing that for you. I need you to visualize where you're going, where you want to be. Every day, talk about that shit to yourself. If ain't nobody else there, it's just you and you. Talk about it. And yeah. I, I feel like I got too much free time too. I need more to do. Like I, I be trying to like get money. I be trying to. If I had some type of, it don't even gotta be a job. If I had some type of steady way that I can make guaranteed money every day, it don't even gotta be a lot. But something that I could, like that's, that's what I'm saying. My budget moment. If I had a way I can make a hundred dollars a day. And I'll I, I, be decent How do you see yourself How would you like to make the $100 a day Well What would you like to do Well I already got stuff in mind Like okay making these phone calls I graduated from high school With a 3.6 GPA I ended up going to Jackson State University On a track and field scholarship Full ride At the time, I did not want to go to Jackson State. My first choice was Syracuse. Second choice was LSU. Third choice was Howard. I could have gotten into all of those schools. But because my parents weren't involved, my parents didn't probably know how to be involved. It was my coaches and so-called mentors that got me into the college that they felt I should go to. And not really having the type of guidance that I needed to tell me or to uh, refer me to to get into the colleges that I needed to get into. The fact that I went to Jackson State ended up being great because I met um, a lifelong mentor. All right, so everything does happen for a reason, but just to give you clarity, that wasn't the the, uh, university of my choice that I wanted to take my scholarship on. But that was the university that my coaches graduated from. That w- it was their alma mater. So they pushed me to go to that school. They pushed me to go to Jackson State. Now here's another thing. Coaches. This is the main reason why I became a coach. I went to Jackson State. My first, I was on a full scholarship, right? They recruited me like crazy. 
didn't want to go there but didn't have the adults or the guidance or the the elders in my life to lead me or to help me I out to, to help me get into the schools that I wanted to get into so I settled for Jackson State when I got to Jackson State there first we were on probation NC2A so therefore we could compete but we could not go to the division uh, championships so for two years, Jackson State University was on probation. All right? So during those two years, ran, hustled, uh, maintained a good status on the track team. Mm. My third year, uh, they fired our coach and they got a new coach. This new coach came my last year. The new coach came from a high school. This coach was very judgmental this coach ended up cutting my scholarship because he suspected that i was dating the captain all right the captain being a, l a little island girl who if you all know anything about the uh, island's culture they don't play the so-called homosexual shit they are big on bashing all right with her all this time her and i are lying about the relationship she mostly initiated by her but I had enough practice in high school about lying about who I was. And a lie because she can't, she's not ready to deal with that. Not only that, she's lying to a lot of other people in her life. So for me, uh, not really being secure with who I am, uh, loving myself, I went along with that lie. So from that point, me going with that lie, uh, covering uh, up a whole bunch of shit. Mind you, this was the worst relationship to this day. That was the worst relationship in my life because I was in I felt forced to lie about who I was to my friends, my family. Love with her, and I allowed outside forces, outside of myself, to govern what what I was gonna do. Uh, and so he ended up cutting my scholarship. Now I'm the fastest sprinter that he had on the team, but he ended up cutting my scholarship because, because I appeared to be gay. I wasn't even out there, so I wasn't identifying as gay. As soon as our probation was lifted, I made qualifying times for NC2A's 55-meter dash for indoor. Do you know this man did not turn in my time and I had to hear from another coach? And that was because I had just beat one of his girls and he was looking for my name. Maybe he thought I was a bad influence. Or maybe he thought I was influencing her. Because I can tell you this, I, look, I've, I never looked any different or act any different than I always have been. Never been able to hide who I was even if I was lying about it. He took my scholarship, but didn't take hers. And this wasn't a white coach. This was a black coach. This was a black man. Okay, so I'm being treated again here. I'm being treated by my own. Oh, but black lives matter. Or which black lives matter? Just some of them. Or the ones that are identifying as straight or look straight. Okay. I trust that you all were listening closely. Because this is my example of where trust breaks down between generations. He thought that I wasn't go. I was just gonna let it go. Uh, and at the time, I didn't fight it because I didn't want to be known as being gay. And she got a scholarship taken away because she's gay. I was ashamed, and when I had no adults to tell me that I should not have been ashamed. If anybody should have been ashamed, it should have been that coach on how he treated his athlete. Again, this is my example, me. how I feel the older generation failed me. Though through the same adversity gave me the strength to tell the story. I guarantee you that this didn't just happen to me.
but a lot of times people won't know the truth because we are not talking and telling our stories. Being the warrior that I am, I found another way to fight. So I ended up taking out a loan. And then you think you send your children to places and these adults are looking after them. That's why parents, you got to step up. Know your child. First know thyself and you shall know others. Me sharing this is not placing blame or pointing fingers anywhere. It is simply sharing my journey of the paths that we have so that the people coming behind us, paths are clear. And we see that through, through history all the time. Again, history repeats itself in corners of our lives. All we got to do is just pay attention. We can see how the world works right in our homes. Just wanna let go, but I just don't know about you. My mind is always racing, chasing stolen memories, debating to sedate them with rolling canvases. My eyes get weak, my lips get pale, yeah, now I feel like everybody else. What's happening to me, Jim? I don't really know, I don't really know, but sometimes I and I'm sitting around a table with a group of workers that are going to introduce themselves. Um, and as we always do on True Chat, we introduce ourselves. So when you all, would you please go around the table and tell us who you are and what you do here in Heartland. My name is Yolanda Townsend. I'm a manager of clinical operations. I support the outreach team, which we staff about um, eight to 10 mental health professionals who support the homeless populations in the city of Chicago. Um, our job is to go out and link them to services, maybe at Heartland Alliance Health or wherever we can find services that will suit their needs. So that's what I do. Yes. Hi, my name is Katie Calligan, <clears throat> and I am Senior Director of Community Health Initiatives here at Heartland Alliance Health. And my job is to engage with communities, listen to them, and look for ways to work together um, in partnership to improve the health and well-being of 
of the community. Good morning, my name is Mark Lightfoot. I'm a senior mental health worker here at Heartland Alliance Health. Um, I work under the PATH team and we do outreach. Um, I'm under the uh, uh, management of Yolanda Townsend and so we do just that. We go out into the community. Uh, no community is too big or too small. We go to all of them. No crisis or situation is beyond us. We tend to meet them where they're at. But I'm an outreach worker and I'm here to help. Thanks. Thank you. I am Chris Robinson, Heartland Alliance, uh, <clears throat> Manager of Clinical Operations. Uh, my current role is managing a drop-in center called New Hope. And what we do there is we serve participants who, some are homeless, some are currently housed, but they're seeking services that we offer at Heartland. And we try to make a warm space uh, welcoming space for them to come in with whatever they bring and uh, utilize the services that we have to provide to them. We also off we offer housing for some people, medical services, psychiatric services, and I think the most important thing that we offer is a warm, warm welcome. I think that's very important uh, to approach our situation with open arms. We are here to help. Um, what's the most utilized service here in Inglewood you all find? Uh, our health center and also um, we do coordinated entry which is a program run by the city of Chicago and another agency, a couple more agency and it's an assessment tool that we use to get people on the one list or those that are looking for housing, who are experiencing street homelessness and they might have a disability or um, of course been homeless for some years, uh, but those are our main two services right. here. Mm -hmm. And so we offer primary medical care. Um, we have a lab on site. We have a pharmacy on site. We have laundry and uh, shower facilities here. Um, we offer assistance with benefits and entitlement. Mm -hmm. So for, for people who are looking into that, we can help get them signed up there. Um, we have uh, substance use treatment, uh, behavioral health services, access to dental services um, on our north side. And I think, I think that kind of covers the gamut, yeah, enabling services, so supportive services. And we also have a, did we say Suboxone team? Our STAR mm -hmm. team, star who team. provides support to individuals experiencing um, substance issues. Okay. <clears throat> Do you all feel like these, the services are underutilized Definitely. by the community? Definitely. Like, how, do, how can you show that it's being underutilized? Well, well our, our experience with the number of substance use for one is it's the number of substance users in this area and the offer of an alternative to opiates is available here and I would think that there would be a larger commitment from our, this community into seeking those services and we're doing what we can to up that ante but right now we don't think that services that are being offered are utilized enough by this community. They're there for the taking but for whatever reason, people are not maximizing the use of those.
those services? My mother was a nurse. Uh, well, she still is a nurse. and um, But she was a nurse and she was providing services similar, if you all familiar when the Robert Taylor homes, mm -hmm. and she used to work down there. And she told me that they would spend, they brought all these programs and services, but they could not get the people downstairs to use them right there. Mm -hmm. What are some of you all's thoughts as to why that's happening? Why, why do you feel that we, our people are not coming? Well, first, my thoughts are uh, there's a stigma associated with substance use. There's, a, there's a, this dark cloud for people who use whatever substances they use, and it's like a, you know, it's a bad thing, so to speak. And I think uh, sometimes seeking help uh, is something that a lot of people who are committed to their substance use are not necessarily seeking. So it's, it's there for them, but you have to look at the fact that so many people have been utilizing whatever substances they have been using for a while and are so used to it, they're not, they're not, they're not ready to make that commitment for the help that's available. Because they're just you into another physical. Yes, <laughs> because they have they spent most of their lives using this substance as something that they have gone accustomed to, and to, to, to take it away right now could be detrimental for some. So it's, it's, it's a process that requires a lot more education within the, the, our communities about these different uh, opportunities for help that, that are available. Yes, let's yeah. talk about this process. Because for me, a lot of what I say um, we do, uh, especially in our communities, but I, I know that we get it. We're being we, we're taught how to, to deal with things. It's diseases. We treat symptoms instead of dealing with dis the disease or the disease. Mm -hmm. And for me, talking about the process, that right there is 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 it. But now, how do we? What is the process? And based on you all's experience in working, what are some of the things that you see? can be a part of this process, because I'm thinking that this is something that will be created if it's not already out there. And if it is, tell us about that. So I think in our community, and I say our community, the black community, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna say black community because I was born in the 60s, so I'm black, mm -hmm. <laughs> not African-American. Yeah, check out three. <laughs> okay. Um, we have to trust you. To, to, to try to get help from you. Mm -hmm. We don't trust that easy. Mm -hmm. So if we could make Inglewood community trust our organization and believe in us, uh, I think that will be huge. It will be a success. And if I can piggyback off of Chris with the substance abuse, it's not only that, it's mental illness mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. Our community shuns mm -hmm. mental illness or they they assume that they're labeled crazy mm -hmm. if they're suffering from mm -hmm. dis, you know, depression or bipolar, and that's not the case. You know, it's a disease, and it's worldwide. Color does not matter. If you you're feeling down, you need to reach out mm -hmm. for the support and some help. So this is something I've I've been. Um, I'm from Chicago, but I spend a lot of time down south. Mm -hmm. And down there, I, mm -hmm. I fell in love with the idea of being able to go and talk to someone yes, and uh, receive feedback. Uh, and and there were also different types of, uh, um, I guess, activities because, you know, these are professionals. So saying all of that to say, I come home 
and I want to share what I have and my knowledge with my family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're not, they're not interested they're not ready. in seeking that truth. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of our community, black people, use for therapy is church. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I want to ask without it being, um, because I feel like you all will probably get a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. I'd like for you all to speak on that. My family uses the church, mm-hmm. counselors, and my thing is, if it's working, great. Mm-hmm. But if there's nothing changing, you have to change it up and do something different. Yeah. And so that's that's how that's where I am with. And I would like for you all to share your professional experience behind that or with that. Well, I think um, the church is changing in the black community. They're getting more um, getting involved in you know the violence in the community and also mental health. So it's evolving. However, in the church, they believe prayer changes everything, which it does. However, I believe God put people here for a reason, and he put the mental health workers, the doctors, the psychologists, the psychiatrists. He, he created those individuals to provide that support. So it's not that we're separate. It just needs to be um, a collective thing, I would say. You know, it takes, it takes a village. I call it... Uh, uh, collective consciousness. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talk about that even with how we move in the city. Mm-hmm. One of the examples I gave was uh, in Atlanta, there, it was a big thing with traffic. Mm-hmm. And so as a city, they decided to make changes with maybe the schools, the different, like middle schoolers will go to school at a different time than uh, elementary school. Right which helps, you know what I'm saying? So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a conscious collective around the city. It's not just, oh, this neighborhood over here, you all deal with this by yourself. We're all in this together. So uh, that's some of the things that I'm seeing is happening here mm-hmm. in uh, Chicago, uh, specifically in Inglewood, because I have attended some of these uh, workshops and conferences where they're asking for input from the community um, about transportation, mm-hmm. uh, about, um, restorative justice, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of the uh, supportive ideas and details around that. Which, what group do you do most of your outreach with? Good that you would kind of steer in that direction. Uh, listening to the podcast information earlier where they talk about um, that we need to be uh, kind of retaught, and he was saying how the seniors tend to have the experience in order to share with the youth that are up and coming, but there's an issue with those ones that are 45 and up to that 60 that are uninformed, that are kind of uh, locked out of the present, stuck in the past, and they have youth that are up and coming that are only getting what they have to offer them. Um, And in our environment, we're getting a lot of those ones that are up and coming that are misinformed. Many are going right and a large percentage is going left and those ones are not showing up. We talk about the most vulnerable ones. Uh, Trust is a very important part and uh, many of them don't, but we being path workers, trust and believe there's something in us. We're here for a reason. We can not only meet them where they're at and we can make them comfortable and trust us. Um, We have a better understanding and ability to be transparent knowing where we came from. I'm a product of Inglewood. I'm a product of Inglewood. And so 
I take that experience everywhere that I go. It was very indifferent, leaving from Inglewood, going somewhere else to make a beginning, being uninformed. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of trials and tribulations, even still to this day, uh, there are trials and tribulations, but much more informed. Uh, many of others are just not willing to do that because they don't trust. Mm -hmm. They don't trust. So they'll come in, let's say, early 30s to late 50s. It's been very difficult. Nobody has reached out, and it's like those numbers are kind of like locked out of the help zone. The youth, they're somewhat willing, depending on, like he said, if you have those components together, you've listened, you've become educated to some degree, you're a little bit more tolerant and patient and considered the next person. Those ones, we are, those are not the ones that walk through our door. Mm -hmm. They're not. So we do something a little bit different. We're seeing some different results. This Hope Center, we're kind of not all on board, but for the most part, we're seeing some results out of that being so intimate with them. We are in a space about three times the size of this, coming in contact with that population uh, and those age brackets that have been homeless anywhere from three years, maybe 10 years on the streets. What portion of it do you feel like is working the most? Would you say you are seeing some? That we're working kind of one-on-one -on -one with them with our guards down to an extent okay. is what I'm seeing that's working better. That's when we, <laughs> when they're coming from a shelter and coming in where we're at and we're saying we have something set up at 2 o'clock, uh, maybe a day or two, they're kind of trying to fill us, but on the third day, understand that we mean business and they're there at 12 o'clock. We had an event yesterday. We said be there at 5. The program was over at 1. The ones that were suggested, knowing that it would be a possibility for them to hear a political person talk about what might be better for the community, they felt the ambition to want to show up at five o'clock. They was downstairs waiting on me. And I think one of one of our methods is wherever we're at, we try to meet the people where they're at because people come from all different walks of life, right? And we we say you do it this way, which I can't say I'm not guilty of that all the time, but. I do make an honest attempt to meet people where they're at. And, 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 and doing that, that means we're dealing with people with different life experiences, right? And a lot of them have been traumatized over a period of time, and they are not used to people opening their arms, their arms and welcoming them. They're, they're, some of them, because they've had bad experiences, recoil, and you, you guys mentioned trust, they don't trust right away. And so I think it's a process to build a level of trust with individuals. I think within our communities, one of the main issues is trusting each other. Uh, when I was much younger, like I think I missed, much, much younger, <laughs> I, I was listening to the, a guy that spoke earlier, right? Our communities, there was trust within our communities. We, in, our, in our own way, we trusted each other, right? To a degree, we supported each other. Uh, and if we got a line, there was someone within a community that would speak on it. And I think one of the things that I've noticed over these years is that the elders, there was the utmost respect for our elders. There was big respect. And nowadays, it seems as if, if the elders that, that used to speak up said, no, no, you can't do that, you don't do that, they, they are afraid to speak right now. I, I, there's an intimidation factor within a community because of a lot of the violence that exists. And people that spoke up and weren't afraid to speak up when I was coming up, they're not saying anything anymore. And, and so we 
we took over our we had a certain sense of control in our community because of our elders were the leaders and I don't know if that's present anymore. You said you're a product of Inglewood. Mm -hmm. I would like to know about you all's experience and your story that led you to do the work you're doing. What is it about, what brought you here? Social service. Um, because I had uh, definitely other avenues I was willing to venture <laughs> off into. Social service wasn't it. <laughs> if it really wasn't it, um, and it wasn't producing really what I wanted, I enjoyed what I was doing, uh, but it was not making me self-sufficient by no means. Um, and so social service came through someone that had got to know me um, and saw what I didn't see and suggested for me to come to their environment to take a look at what they were doing. And I had already had a fondness for them uh, and their inner person, and so I watched them interact in this space. It was a day program, it was maybe like 15, 20 years ago, um, and I liked what I saw. I already liked what they were doing, I liked how they were doing and how the people were responding. Um, and that happened another time where someone else chose uh, to invite me to come in, and so they took me on, and that was something real different. That was on the west side. The second time was on the west side, dealing with, um, they were um, uh, developmentally uh, challenged. Some mild, some mental, and some severe, and they were all in this one space, and they busted them there. And real interesting setting, but I took that skill set with me, and I'm around a caseload of people that many of them can't verbally communicate with me. But we, something happens and we communicate for each and every one of them there's a way that they do that and i respond and they respond back uh that went as far as that went and so this gentleman here we uh eventually came in contact with one another and so i'm here now doing something totally different but all of that compounds and built who i, who I am today and i'm somewhere doing something totally different but with all of those experiences behind me um, much better experience here, but much more um, knowledgeable, much more knowledgeable, much more willing. Before I was kind of, I had a little pushback there. Uh, we have this philosophy called harm reduction. They did a whole lot for here and here, a whole lot. What is, I would like for you all to share your stories as to what brought you here to do the work that you're doing. Not necessarily in Inglewood, but just this work, because this work, for me, I don't feel like we choose it, it chooses, it's like a, it's a it chooses us first, and then yeah. we like, ah. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. This is where I'm supposed to be. So, so I think I'm really here at Heartland because of my life experiences, right? Uh, substance use, homelessness, radicalism, any any pushing back with anything that came my way. I was, I wasn't gonna have it. Had bad experiences with law enforcement and all that kind of stuff. And I, uh, you know, when you're thinking about what you're looking for in life, what is it I want to do in life? I could never figure that out, right? And what, like I think someone has, it figured it out for me. I, I, after I addressed some substance use related issues, I was fortunate enough to start working at a facility serve developmentally disabled individuals, right? Older adults who were born, 
with certain conditions that limited their functioning ability. And I really liked that job. I, I felt at that time that I'm providing some help to someone that really needs me. I guess I had a, a yearn to be needed, I'll put it that way. I really enjoyed that. And, I, and, and so I was doing that and I was also an observant, right? And, I'm, and I, I'm all in a way judgmental. So I'm saying to myself, these people are making tons of money off these individuals because of their illness and they're not really sharing that pot, right? And they were promoting me and, 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 I, and I was a manager of a facility and I got an opportunity, uh, a friend of mine, a relative of mine told me about a place that Harlan had started called the Hope Center, right? And that, that's a, that place served individuals who were homeless, who had substance use issues and mental health related issues. And I, I was provided an opportunity to come there and work part-time, right? And I was still maintaining my full-time job, but I would leave early so I could get to Hartman to start this part-time position. And when I got there, uh, it amazed me that the people that were coming in for our help were people that I had hung out in the dark basements with, basements with, in other areas. They were my people. They were just in a different condition than I was right now and they promoted this philosophy that's called harm reduction. I touched on it earlier, meeting people exactly where they are. Had no idea that just making an attempt to meet people where they are with a kind word, a kind gesture, any of that, would draw them to you and they would, they would respond like I didn't think they would. Because what I know from my experience, being homeless, being in situations that I'm so glad I'm not in now, that how badly I was treated. You knock on the door for help within our community, that that door was closed on you right away, and the response was very negative. And I have made an effort to be as positive as I possibly can in serving individuals that knock on my door for help. Now, I'm not perfect, and I don't think I ever will be, because I'm, I'm a straight shooter, and a lot of people don't like the straight shot, but it's something in my nature that says, tell it like it is, my man. You are perfect. Yes. I think you are. Yes. And I so, know you are. And so, we all are. And so it has worked for me. It is working for us as an organization, and I just want not to, not to put Harlan on a pedestal, mm -hmm. but for them to allow me to be who I am, right, and to operate who I am as I am has been very important to me. They've taken the shackles off me and say, go out there and do your thing, man, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that, that, uh, that you said that stuff that struck me was you couldn't figure out what it was you want to mm. do. And what I know to be true about our people, black people, but I'm going to go even deeper with it. In people of Inglewood, because there are some of us that come here and come back and I'm talking on a spiritual level, you know, maybe. But we come back for reasons and purposes to heal others. Mm -hmm. Once we touch down in human form, we forget. But you came back here as a leader. And there was, to me, what I hear, a lot of us, there's no direction. And, and, and there are things that keep us from leading the way our souls and our spirit really came, came here to do. For whatever reasons. 
And that part right there is when you all start talking about trust, is one trusting self first. Mm -hmm. So my thing is all this because I'm I'm very transparent, mm -hmm. and I've had to be for several reasons. <laughs> Transparency um. and honesty with myself, with others, but it comes from me knowing me first. That way, nobody can come in and tell me anything about any, I know I'm free, you know? And so I can choose to trust you because I trust me. And I know, therefore I know what you probably will or will not do. Mm. And that is for me where, I, where I'm coming into the community as I talk about some of the things uh, like um, some of the other objectives I have through this podcast. This is my opportunity. This is like my ticket to come and talk to you. My ticket to get in your head, get in your heart, tell you some things maybe you don't know about yourself or you don't see. You know, and not only that, I, I see myself in everybody I talk to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so for me, um, I want to say it was back in nineteen. Hmm. Don't tell your age. <laughs> back in nineteen ninety four, um, I was on my way to pharmacy school and my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, a sister that uh, I was very, very close with and it shook me. Not only during that time, I was dealing with my sister's um, diagnosis, my husband was dealing with substance abuse. We're talking about an individual who was making six figures mm. and I thought I was living good for a while. Uh, but. I couldn't help him, nor could I help my sister. And the only thing, and I felt myself getting deeper, deeper, deeper into a depression. So I went and sought therapy. Um, and I had a wonderful therapist at Loyola University and she gave me the tools that I needed. And going through that experience was a light bulb moment. And I didn't wanna go back to pharmacy school. I didn't wanna, um, you know, just make the money. I wanted to do more. Um, I was raised in church. So I consider myself, um, around the time all that was going on, my faith was shook. So I started reading a lot, you know. I got in tune with what I wanted to do. I needed to find Yolanda again, so. Um, and I wanted to do something different and make a difference. So I went back to school and got my master's in psychology. And I was lucky to work for a, you know, a DUI facility, work for a behavioral health center, but then somebody uh, introduced me to Heartland and I got a job here and it has completely changed my life. Um, the people that we serve are so resilient and I just think if somebody can survive off of $723 a month mm -hmm. and still have a smile on, my, on their face, I shouldn't have no worries in the world. So um, my heart is in this. And I tell everybody, if you don't have the heart and the passion for this work, you shouldn't be doing it. Because I think <laughs> this is truly doing the work of God because we're helping those that c cannot help themselves. So that's how I got here. This, is, this has been uh, really good information. Um, and always
had to see our neighbors different, right? You know, police had to see each other different, right? Um, I'm store owners. I mean, right, all of these, you know, different, um, you know, breakdowns and different layers that um, each individual had to, you know, address. <clears throat> we really didn't know what, at that time, what restorative justice was. Of course, now we do because we practice it, but... I think what we saw was restorative justice early in the game, right? Our neighbors, like, would come out and, you know, the same people that she would, like, have say, hey, you were the one that tried to rob me, I know it was you, you're really big, or whatever, we would then all sit down and have dinner together, Mm -hmm. right? So we were seeing restorative justice, and the same thing with the police. The same guys, and I loved it one time, we had a circle, the same guys that they had chased were making jokes about, hey, you know, you didn't run really fast. And he was like, no. <laughs> and they would be like, you didn't jump or you can't, you're right. And so so as we see each other different, right, then we see that we're really people mm-hmm. and we're not just the guy running. And so we've seen a lot of that breakdown um, that falls under restorative justice. You see, this is what I'm talking about. This is just, this is community doing this. Yes. Why, why do you think, what's so hard about us doing it like, and you don't? We have a sign above our door that says, if in doubt, love, and we mean it. So, right, may that be your first response. One of the approaches that I have of meeting people where they are is being able to allow people to say and talk freely, and then they can hear themselves. At that point, there's no blaming anybody, but you can definitely see why it might be set up this way or why it's going this way. So that's what I mean, because I know, and, and, and for me, I saw your face. I already saw where you were going with it. And I'm and I'm with you on that, but I'm also knowing, like I said, there's accountability everywhere. I can't disagree that there needs to be accountability. Where I suffer or struggle is dominant culture has created this, right? And the accountability part is we can say, gee, you all need to be better fathers. Well, that would be great if we hadn't locked up 70% of your community, yeah. right? Um, it would be great if we hadn't dumped the drugs into the community. Um, yeah. Let's look at our school system here. It's, it's literally painful to assume that our kids going to a public school here is going to compete with my kid going to a public school downtown. It's, it's, it's not going to happen, right? So I think we have to look at it, when we come and say to communities, you're responsible and you need to stand up and have a community. How'd you get there? Like, what were the pieces that got you there? And and that's going to come in with dominant culture. And, and that's going to come with and, my people changing. And what's the pieces, you know, continue, you know, that continues to hold you, you know, uh, you know, back from those opportunities, you know, uh, to some degree, you know. Um, and it's a big question, you know, whether it's, you know, education whether it's food related you know um so these different things that you know that 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 played you know uh different you know played our culture yes and how about that okay that's how we do here on true chat we give the truth from the heart right so this Friday, Mula and I will be at the West Inglewood Library from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Uh, and this will be our first mastermind group meeting. Right now it's just him and I, and we are inviting the community out. Uh, residents of Inglewood ages 16 to 30 will be meeting. We're going to try to meet every second and fourth Friday. Right now this is the first meeting, so we're going to see how it turns out. But him and I will be there. 
uh, a mastermind meeting. If you're interested in knowing who you are, uh, your life's purpose, what you're here to do on this planet, um, or just needing some feedback on some ideas that you've been tossing around in your head, come sit down with us and join our circle. Get a little mastermind. You'd be surprised on how much you get out of it. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to tune in next week for episode nine as we are digging deeper into healing ourselves as we touch on mental illness and then some. I am your host, Joy of Joyful Sounds, signing off. It is like everyone I might see adversity penetrating my communities, creating perceptions that we need to be freed. Source, 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 source